welcome to Faking It, a special effects podcast about movie makeup and creature creation. My name is Gail Martin, and I'm a special effects fan and makeup artist. Thanks for joining me on this first step of my new quest. This is the first of what I hope will be many episodes uh, where I dive into anything related to special effects. My main reason for starting this podcast is simple. I want to connect with other people who share my passion for special effects, filmmaking, and movies in general. I hope to learn more from you about this stuff. I'm definitely still, by all considerations, a novice to this topic, and so if there are any experts out there, please chime in, please share what you know, and I hope that we can learn together and grow together as artists and cinephiles. about the people, the mishaps, and the innovations that have shaped the techniques we take for granted today. Even the little bit that I've learned so far has introduced me to hilarious and sometimes lurid factoids that pull back the curtain and remind me that no one, not even my heroes, built their legacies flawlessly. They may have brought our deepest fears to life with their own hands, but they aren't gods. They do have good stories though, so let's start telling them. The reason production companies spend millions on special effects is obvious. Most actors wouldn't agree to losing a limb or killing an animal as part of their contract. However, it would be an easy way to cut costs, right? Pun intended. So I've always wondered if actual animal and even human remains were used in lieu of handmade props. So to kick off this first episode, I figured it would be appropriate to discuss those times when movie makers weren't faking it. most well-known example of this is Poltergeist. This beloved 1982 classic was written by the great Steven Spielberg and directed by Toby Hooper, who launched his career by directing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The rumor is that Toby's team used real human skeletons in one of the final scenes of the film. In it, Diane Freeling, played by Joe Beth Williams, falls into the family's muddy, unfinished swimming pool along with the skeletons that have risen from the graveyard their house was built on. Now, if you still don't believe that this story is true, I don't blame you. But Snopes does confirm its veracity. But you don't have to believe me. Just listen to these quotes from an interview with Williams herself. Quote, I would have to go into this huge tank of what I thought were mud and these skeletons, which, by the way, I thought were plastic, but later found out they were real skeletons. It was a real nightmare. End quote. In a later interview, she added this, quote, You have to understand that this sequence took probably four or five days to shoot. So I was in mud and goop all day, every day, for like four or five days, with skeletons all around me, screaming. In my innocence and naivete, I assumed that these were not real skeletons. I assumed that they were prop skeletons, made out of plastic or rubber. I found out, as did the whole crew, that they were using real skeletons because it's far too expensive to make fake skeletons out of rubber. And I think everyone got real creeped out by the idea of that." End quote. Williams wasn't the only one who was freaked out by this. Before the filming of Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, co-star Will Sampson performed an exorcism as a member of the Muskegee Nation to purge any malevolent spirits who may take their cues from the first film's premise. Anyway, back to Williams in the swimming pool of death. This story was corroborated by Bruce Casson, 
who worked as an assistant prop master on the film. Quote, yes, the skeletons were real. They came from Carolina Biological. Replica skeletons did not exist as far as I remember at that time. They're not common and relatively cheap, and the rush to the bottom line for cost will dictate. End quote. Furthermore, special effects makeup artist Craig Reardon also confirmed that the skeletons were real during a 1982 lawsuit. The lawsuit itself has no bearing on the story other than providing us with that final piece of solid proof that, in the case of Poltergeist, life imitated art. Unfortunately, some of the other films on our list don't follow suit with this whimsical and slightly funny story. Cannibal Holocaust is a perfect, if nauseating, example. The plot is pretty simple. A professor finds a documentary tape while trying to rescue a group of young filmmakers who went missing in the Amazon. Plus cannibals. Sounds fine, right? Well, director Ruggiero Deodato was apparently not satisfied with creating the illusion of reality. So he just went ahead and committed some heinous acts of animal cruelty and human exploitation to get the effects he wanted. Six animals were brutally killed during the making of this 1985 film. And among them were a quati, which looks like a muskrat, basically, a turtle, and a squirrel monkey. And in one scene that basically broke my heart, a little black pig was shot point blank in the head with a shotgun. As an animal lover, those scenes were particularly hard for me to watch. But don't worry, it gets worse. Throughout the entire film, Deodato exploited native people and refused to pay them despite the life-threatening circumstances under which they were required to work. To be fair though, he treated his cast and crew the same way, so at least he's consistent. The tribes involved in the film are called the Yanomami and the Shamatari. And as far as I could tell, the Yanomami only eat the bones of their deceased family members. Yes, they are, or at least were, violent towards each other and other tribes, but as far as I can tell, cannibalism didn't factor into that violence as much as the movie implies. Women and children were generally treated terribly, but again, the film appears to be exaggerating. I also didn't find any reference to the ritualistic rapes and murders that took place in the film as punishment for adultery. I only mention all of this because it is ironic and disturbing that a movie with such a superficially good message about respecting native peoples was rooted in prejudice and created by way of their exploitation. I also couldn't find any reports of sexual assault allegations, though actress Francesca Chiardi did express concern about the movie's sexual content. Her demands about how her body would be filmed during intimate scenes were also met with the director's ire and were ultimately ignored. Furthermore, the film contains numerous realistic rape scenes perpetrated by both Native men and the lead characters, so it's hard to believe that, given all of this, women weren't also assaulted in some way during the making of the film. But do you want to know the part that really bums me out? It could have been a good movie, and at first glance, it has a good message. The lead character, that professor I mentioned at the top, is the voice of reason who decries the film crew's behavior and shows genuine respect for those tribes he encountered. It's a shame that a talented director sullied what could have been great work with such degrading and unethical practices. I'm not typically someone who calls for much censorship, but I make an exception here. Not because it's too gory or explicit, but because we can't reward unethical practices in filmmaking. The last line of the movie is spoken by the professor after he watched all the gruesome footage captured by the filmmakers. He pulls out his pipe, lights it, and wistfully thinks, I wonder who the real cannibals are. 
Fuck you, Deodato. Just... Fuck you. Alright, that's enough of that. Let's move on. The movie Men Behind the Sun was directed by Mu Tun Fei and released in 1988. It faced outrage, censorship, and was even banned in Australia because of its graphic depiction of World War II atrocities committed by the Japanese. China gave the film its equivalent of an NC-17 rating, and the director even received death threats. There are a couple reasons for this. First, in one scene, a cat is tossed into a room full of hungry rats, which was completely fake according to the director. He did, however, admit to using real autopsy footage for one scene involving a young boy. These shocking scenes were part of Mutun Fei's attempt to educate audiences about a very dark time in history. A film like this might have been accepted today, but not in the late 80s. Unlike Men Behind the Sun, the movie titled Unrest wasn't banned. Jason Todd Ibsen's 2006 film tells the story of a medical pathology student whose assigned cadaver takes revenge on those who disrespect her body. This is interesting, not because the plot is particularly unique or amazing, but because Ibsen was a practicing surgeon before he made his foray into the film world. When questioned about the authenticity of his cadavers, Ibsen wouldn't confirm or deny anything. In my opinion, the film was just okay, but I did appreciate those realistic medical aspects. And I'm including this film even though the accusations haven't been proven, simply because if anybody could get a cadaver, it would probably be Ibsen. Also, fun fact! In one scene, the lead actress is going to the bathroom, but clearly never pulls her pants down or pulls them back up. George Romero's 1979 masterpiece, Dawn of the Dead, doesn't need much introduction. The film's creation, along with its predecessor, Night of the Living Dead, elevated the horror genre to a new level, with crucial social commentary that is, unfortunately, still relevant today. It also gave us a humorous, if macabre, anecdote involving a real medical training skeleton. Tom Savini, the effects director on Dawn of the Dead, borrowed what he thought was a fake skeleton from a prop director. He covered it in latex and cereal. Side note, the cereal was likely used for texture. This sort of smart and scrappy approach is one of the things I love about doing special effects. Your trash, or in this case, your latex-covered cereal, is our treasure. Anyway, the skeleton made its silver screen debut in one scene, where Savini placed it in the corner of the room, curled up and camera-ready. Afterwards, Savini sold it to a costume shop where it stood in the front window display. That is, until one day, a police officer passed by, saw it, and wasn't convinced it was fake. The coroner confirmed his suspicions. The supposedly fake skeleton once belonged to an actual living 35-year-old woman who had died a century before she became a movie star. Don't worry, she's buried now. The costume shop owner and fans of the film even honored her by raising money for a headstone. In lieu of her real name, whatever it was, her epitaph reads simply, Don Doe. While I can't speak for her, I certainly wouldn't mind going on such a fantastic postmortem journey. we've discussed so far. I personally have to say Cannibal Holocaust is the worst, if you couldn't tell by the amount of time I spent saying how terrible it was. But uh, buckle your seatbelts, because Apocalypse Now is actually a formidable challenger. 
Directed by Francis Ford Coppola, this Academy Award-winning film follows a young army captain on a dangerous mission to find and kill a colonel who had, shall we say, gone off the rails. But he's not the only one who went off track. Filming dragged on two months longer than expected. The crew wrestled with bad weather, fired cast members, their own intoxication and drug use, and even tigers. Yes, tigers. But that's not even the shocking part. To enhance the film's realism, as if it needed any help, the crew members decided to decorate the sets with dead rats. Their logic was that the smell would aid the actors' performances. People complained, as they should, and the rats were removed. Problem solved, right? Well, while the dead rats were being removed, a literal row of human bodies was discovered in the prop room. They had been purchased by crew members from a grave robber. Why, you ask? Well, they had planned on hanging them from the trees for an upcoming scene, like some kind of gruesome tinsel. Now I gotta be honest, the animal cruelty in Cannibal Holocaust affects me emotionally more than this. But this is just gross and unethical. But I guess I can't act too high and mighty. I wouldn't be talking about this movie at all if it wasn't for its salacious aspects. I tried watching it, but it was just so long and so slow. I'm including Joe D'Amato's 1979 film, Beyond the Darkness, even though there were only rumors of the gore-tastic film's use of real cadavers. It's about a grieving taxidermist who preserves his wife's body and kills the women who discover his secret. If you want to see a murder scene acted out against jazzy 80s synth music, then look no further. I'd say it's a pretty great film, considering it was only shot in two weeks. And whether the rumors are true or not, they're definitely good PR. end with what is for sure the most unintentionally hilarious film on the list, Blood Feast by Herschel Gordon Lewis. This 1963 film is about an Egyptian immigrant who murders multiple women on his quest to reawaken the goddess Ishtar, because nothing works better for propping up a thin plotline than fetishizing an ancient non-Western culture, especially when xenophobia is literally woven into the fabric of your society. Man, I sure am glad America's past all that. Anyway, historically speaking, this film is clearly wedged between the spoopy horror of Boris Karloff and Vincent Price, and the realism that movies like Rosemary's Baby and The Last House on the Left would soon bring to the screen. It's also widely considered the first splatter film due to the unprecedented amount of gore involved. That's why it's not surprising that in his book, Shock Value, Jason Zinnemann states the following, quote, He didn't cut away from a sliced neck or a gaping wound. He showed it to you again and again. In doing so, he invented gore." End quote. According to Lewis, he was negatively inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Quote, I thought it cheated. Hitchcock showed the results, but not the action, because he couldn't risk getting turned down by theaters who wouldn't accept his product. We didn't care. End quote. It was a low-budget film, with only 24k to its name, but Lewis wasn't going to let that stop him from assaulting his audiences with the most realistic and excessive gore he could muster. So, he used actual animal organs and even imported a sheep's tongue from Tampa Bay. The innards are seen throughout the movie, but the tongue takes center stage when it is slowly and awkwardly ripped from a woman's throat. 
It sounds bad, but seriously, watch the movie. It's actually hilarious in hindsight. Modern judgments aside, the film, which the Los Angeles Times called, quote, a blot on the American film industry, end quote, went on to make anywhere from seven to $30 million in the 15 years after its release. I'm not sure why there's such a huge gap there. I imagine it's either poor accounting skills or maybe old Hershey took a little off the top for himself. It just goes to show you that your work doesn't have to be perfect or even good to make money and history. Oh, and did I mention that the plot involves a book entitled Ancient Weird Rites? Yeah, I definitely need that on my bookshelf. That's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this journey through the darker side of the film industry. In future episodes, I plan on covering everything from history to chemistry and techniques, cult classics, anything related to special effects. I hope you'll join me. In the meantime, if you could rate, comment, and subscribe, that will help me immensely. And I'll be happy to give you a shout out on the next episode. Until then, I'm Gail Martin, and this is Faking It.